Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hello and welcome to episode 138 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I am Beth. Wow. I know. <laughs> I miss this. I love this. I love doing this with you, Mom. Yeah. You know what, honey? I love doing it with you. It's work, but even the work is interesting, you know? Yeah. I mean, I look like a hot mess right now. I just realized I haven't even looked in a mirror before. Hopping You're down here to record. Darling, darling. Oh, thank you, mom. So how have you been? I feel like, I mean, I've talked to you, but not really talked to you. Yesterday, you went off the grid. I'm assuming because you were writing your episode. <laughs> totally. Well, I worked at the food pantry until like 1230, from 9 to 1230. Then I came home, started working on this. And then last night, I went to something at the church. So, yeah. I was off the grid. <laughs> you were off the grid. Your brother <laughs> called me, didn't answer. <laughs> it was totally unresponsive. <laughs> okay, so episode 138. Yes. South, South Carolina. Carolina. Yes. yes. Before we start. I love how you say all the states. <laughs> I don't even know what accent that was supposed to be. <laughs> South <I'm>... Carolina. <laughs> A little bit of European scent in there. Okay, y'all, before we start, I would like to thank, I, I would like to thank one of our long term time, sorry, long time listeners, Melanie, for sending this this story to us. I had never heard about it. And I have to tell you, I do like looking into these cases that I was not that I'm not familiar with. So yeah. I, Melanie, thank you very much. I'm not saying your last name because I didn't get permission to do so. So <laughs> no, we got a lot of great, like I posted on social media, like, give me some stories. We got a lot of stories. I was like, we Yay. did. We got great responses. And this is just to prove to y'all that we're going to cover those cases. Yes. There you I, go. I'm excited. <laughs> I've already started looking into some of the cases and claimed them for my own. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. Mom said, what state? And I was like, I don't want to give her that one. I don't want to give her that one. <laughs> Delaware. No, 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 no. Not that one. That's mine. Um, Let's see. <laughs> I, uh... That is exactly what happened. I am going to cover the Delaware story. I want to. Uh, okay. So before we dive into your story, though, you're glazing right over the cocktail, mom. No, no. I just wanted oh. to thank Melanie. First off, for Melanie's the priority. Yes, thank you, Melanie. Drawing our Appreciate attention you. to this case. It's a horrible case, but you know, they all are. So, but what's the cocktail, darling? Okay. Thought you were just breezing white rights. Blip. No. Breezing right past it. Blah. Okay. This is the delicious looking cocktail. It doesn't look very delicious. <laughs> delicious looking cocktail. But <laughs> does it look delicious? 
but <laughs> this is Beth's own creation. <laughs> no website needed. Uh uh-uh. uh. Nope. Okay. Beth's creation. Are you brave enough to try it? <laughs> well, I can't, but I would. Well, I can make it for you if you want me to later on. Are you ready? I'm really excited. I literally like measured and tasted and tried things all last night. So I'm really excited about it. Are you ready? Okay, we got it. I'm so (laughs) clever. I'm so proud of myself. Okay. It's called the Buried Alive Pot uh, Cocktail, the podcast. (laughs) Actually, we could make it named something podcast. Anyway, I named it Buried Alive. Okay, Buried Alive. All right. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. Oh, Okay, so this is what's in it. It has to do with your your episode portion, doesn't it? Okay, go ahead. We have heavy whipping cream Mm. for the skeleton. (laughs) Mm. We have coconut rum for the dirt. (laughs) And you have melon liqueur for the grass. (laughs) For the grass. And then you have... Pineapple juice for the sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're laughing, but it tastes really good. I believe it does, but your name with all the sunshine even. Buried alive. (laughs) Yes, that is it. (laughs) Um, Okay, so it is an ounce of heavy whipping cream. And you put this in your shaker shaker with ice mm-hmm. okay so your skeleton and then you do one and a half to two ounces of rum that's your preference are you doing dark um, rum, rum for the dirt it's coconut rum so that's i did dark it's Is not it? i did two ounces okay. of the coconut rum and then for the melon liqueur i did just an ounce of that with a grass and then Pineapple juice, is, you know, pineapple juice is pretty strong. So it's how you want, how much you want. How much you, you like five. pineapple juice. Yeah. I, there's like the little cans that are six ounces. Mm-hmm. I did about five ounces of that. Mm-hmm. So I shake it in a shaker with ice, strained it and poured it into this glass and added some little ice cubes into it. Interesting. So why the whipping cream? Mm. It adds like a really, well, for a skeleton, I needed a skeleton. Um, Could have been the ice. Oh, that's the rain. <laughs> I've thought this through. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it adds like a really smoothness to it. Oh, it's it could good. have been it could have been egg whites too. Ew, no, I don't. Didn't I didn't even think about that for a skeleton. My bad. <laughs> it's a lot more work than just dumping the whipping cream in there. Yes. So that is the Buried Alive Killer Hangover Podcast cocktail. Long okay. Come up with a better one. Oh, child. <laughs> Sounds delish. Gotta, <laughs> gotta try it. If you try it, let me know. <laughs> we'll put those uh, that recipe in our show notes. Oh, I'm going to post it everywhere. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. It'll be everywhere. You're going to see it everywhere with a picture because it looks so good. (laughs) That part doesn't look very appetizing. It looks like a milky orange juice. I don't know. Oh, well, can't have everything. Mm -mm. 
All right. Are we ready? We're ready. Okay. I do want to advise listeners discretion for this part of the episode. It does involve rape, sodomy, and a very violent murder. So Mm. I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to go into great detail. Of course, we don't do that. I will have to cover some of this just to stress how depraved the killer was. All right, here we go. It's November 16th, 1991 in Conway, South Carolina. Conway is about 14 miles inland from Myrtle Beach. So it's a really small kind of farming community. Not much to do for kids, you know, you know, the small towns. Um, So there's a lot of partying going on. And then, of course, it's only 14 miles to the beach. So in the summer, there's a lot of beach action going on, too. (laughs) All right. And I can relate to that, not necessarily as a teenager, but, you know, I went to a very small college in a very small college town, as you did. Same school. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of the same thing. There's not much to do except, you know, drink. drink. (laughs) (laughs) Just being honest. All right. Back to that night. It's on a Saturday. And although it's November, the temperature is pretty mild. 17-year-old Crystal Faye Todd had just finished with all her chores around the house. She just wanted to hang out with her friends. She kissed her mother, Bonnie, goodbye and headed to her car. Bonnie watched as her daughter's little blue Toyota, an early graduation gift from Bonnie, sped down the street. Just the last thing she saw was her daughter's license plate, which was a personalized license plate that read C. Todd. Hmm. Crystal met up with a group of friends at the mall. Remember those days? The only place to go was the mall. Again, small town. (laughs) Yeah. You would just drop us off there. Just go. Just go. go. (laughs) Her best friend got out of work uh, from one of the stores at the mall around nine o'clock. And Crystal had heard about a party that was a little outside of town. So her and her friend headed to the party. Okay. Now a little bit about Crystal. She was fun and outgoing, well-liked at school and above average student. She was what gave life to her mother, Bonnie who called her a miracle child. Bonnie and her husband, Junior B, had always wanted a child, but their want was not answered until January 4th, 1974, when Bonnie was 39 years old. From the first moment the baby was placed in Bonnie's arms, she fell in love with Crystal, and Crystal became her entire life, especially after Junior B died when Crystal was only 11 years old. Mm. Crystal grew up to be a beautiful young woman with goals to head to college after she graduated this last year of high school. She was just, she had this beautiful dark auburn hair that was really wavy, curly, and these Mm -hmm. freckles, just freckles around her nose and her, you know, she was just a really cute young woman. Crystal did most of the housework around the house, cooking and cleaning. She loved to cook. That's why she took that job upon herself. And she was a like OCD when it came to, you know, neat freak stuff. You know, yeah. you can relate to that. So bit. she probably didn't even mind cleaning the house. I mean, it was just her and her mother. So it didn't sure. get too dirty. 
Uh, the only thing is her mother smoked. And that was one of the things Crystal hated was the smell of cigarette smoke. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons she really took that job upon herself was to clean the house out as soon as her mother's sing- cigarette was it. extinguished. Yeah. It was like, get to work, get that smell out of the house. She was involved in her church, singing in the choir. She loved children and was well sought after as a babysitter. But of course, Crystal was a normal teenager and there was little to do in this town. So Crystal and, you know, they drank. Uh, that's what they did. That's what we did. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying it, you know, especially in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, it just, that's the way it was. Anyway, Crystal had a slight accident on the way home after one of these parties she was pulled over and cited with DUI now she was not charged but her car was taken away from her for three months and it was like okay if you learned your lesson we're not going to charge you but if this ever happens again you know it's it's history anyway crystal did take this event to heart and she never really drank again she go to parties still and if she got a beer she would just nurse it just basically hold it and nurse it throughout the whole night so on the night of november 16th as she and her friends stood around at the party on the outskirts of town crystal realized this is not where she wanted to be she wanted to kind of go back to the mall or go someplace with her other friends but it turned out that her friend had to be home all these Kids have curfews. So her friend had to be home at 11.15. And it was closing in on that time. In fact, they were just going to get to the friend's car by 11.15. So the friend was probably going to be late going home. Uh Uh-oh. Crystal dropped her off. And then she still had 45 minutes because her curfew was at 12. Um, So she was like, she loved her car. And one of the reasons she did, because it gave her a sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. and she was not going to waste that freedom that night. So she still had 45 minutes. So what else did we do? I don't know about you guys, but we, that after the mall closed and everything else, what else do you do? Oh, you get in your car and you cruise. This is all right. All right. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you just go around the same route over and over again. You wave at the same people. And they just keep once in a while, you're stop at a parking lot where everybody else is hanging out. Okay, let's go oh, back. Man. And you just do this. So anyway, she started doing that. What a was, blast. <laughs> it was fun, actually. But... <laughs> so she was at a stoplight <clears throat> in the middle of this cruising thing. And she looked over and her best friend, Ken, was right next to her in his car. And he goes, hey, you want to go cruising together? And she's, you know, hang out for a while. And she goes, yeah, I've got to be home by 12. But yeah, we have some time. He goes, okay, drop your car off at the high school parking lot and I'll come pick you up. So that's what she did. She left her coat and her purse and locked them up in the in her car and then jumped into Ken's car. Okay, now Ken and her had been friends since they were little kids grade school, maybe even earlier than that. They lived about a mile away from each other, if that, and just had always had a connection. One source said that they did date for a little bit, but it just wasn't, didn't click. But Ken was still very attracted to her and had been repeatedly asking her if she wanted to go out. She just didn't feel that way about Ken. 
she told her mother that I think all he really wants is sex. And, mm-hmm. you know, she, she just didn't want that. It's not the relationship they had. So a little bit about Ken. He was the all-American boy next door. Blonde hair, blue eyes. He was an above and average. Perfect Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was literally Ken. Well, Ken. He, was, he was short, kind of stocky. So, yeah. But anyway, mm-hmm. in those days, he was considered really cute. He was an above average student while in high school, was a football star, was involved in his church, and was involved in the Conway community as well. So everybody knew him. Of course, it's only a community of, what, 10,000 or something. It was a very small community. So Mm -hmm. everybody really knew everybody. But if you're the star of the football team, you're really known. Yes, definitely. Because that was a big thing. During football, that's where everybody was on that Saturday night. Because it's a small town. (laughs) (laughs) All around, great guy. But he had a dark side to him. And a dark side that neither Crystal or her mother, Bonnie, really knew about. Now, the football coach and his teammates all knew about his temper. He had a horrible Mm. temper, kind of anger issues to go along with that. What a lot of people did not know, though, was he also had a record. Oh. Yeah. When Ken was 15. Okay, 15. Oh. Young. Oh. He started stalking and continuously calling a young girl. Her name was Julie and her mother. So oh. if her mother answered, he would say crude things on the phone to her, but never really threatened her. Uh, when Julie answered, he would say crude things, but he would also threaten her. And it was like, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to rape you. And then I'd like to stab you. And I'd like to slit you. Oh my god! And I'd like to slit you open. Oh my god! And, and he would go into graphic detail. And this continued for quite a while. And Julie and her mother went to the police and reported it. And they knew it was him. They did because Julie had gone to, he worked at some store and Julie was a customer there at that store. And he had talked to her at the store and kind of came on to her. And she was like, dude, I, you know, you're young. I'm young. I'm not interested in this. Uh, she recognized his voice when he called. And she was like, it's that guy that works at that store that I, you know, I ran into a guy from that store. <laughs> it's a guy from that store. <laughs> You know, mom, the guy from the store, that guy, that, that store. They did report it. They did report it to the police. Nothing was ever really done about it. And then the call stopped and life goes on. So, but there was a report, you know, made about his frequent phone calls. Two months before the fateful November night, Ken had been driving around the nearby campus He, like college campus, I'm sorry. He'd seen two female students walking. He drove alongside of them and said he was lost and he needed directions. So one of the girls leaned over to, you know, say, where are you going, whatever. And she noticed that, well, his member was out (laughs) and he was stroking it. Okay. (laughs) I wasn't going to drink too much of this today. As he drove off, they did get his license plate number and reported it to the police. Yes, good. So I just have to, when I was in high school, 
was working at Wendy's. Oh no, where is this going? Yeah, I was working oh, at no. Wendy's. And I was like, you know, the person at the drive through window. Yes. This big old car. Of course, a lot of people drove big cars in those days. Um, drives up. Boats. <laughs> this guy oh, literally God. in a trench coat. No. In a trench coat. No. And I'm like, hi, how are you? Open the window, you know, open the window. He is totally naked under the trench coat. And he and opened it? And he, he's sitting there with it wide open. He's totally naked. And he's like, hey, how are you? And he's doing the thing. Doing the thing. Stroking himself. Mom, no. Okay, okay. Doing the thing was much better. I'm sorry to have corrected you. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that those horrible things are imprinted in your mind. <laughs> it's like, you don't expect it. I want to give you your dang Did- hamburger and I want payment for it. I don't want to see that. Did you? Did did you report you reported it or are you just traumatized? I laughed at him. <laughs> you laughed at him. <laughs> I was like, laughing. He took off. <laughs> you should have reported him because some people wouldn't have laughed and they would have been, well, you were traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> I was something because I remember it distinctly, but I couldn't help it. I, maybe that's Definitely. what I do. Maybe I do in those instances. I just laugh. I don't but I, I just started laughing. It was like inconceivable to me. Like, you don't expect that. No, fight or flight or laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I picked the laugh. It embarrassed him. <laughs> he was out of there. <laughs> Maybe he won't do it I again would. because he's like, well, I don't want that reaction. <laughs> I think I would laugh too. Or be like, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'd fight <laughs> in that you, situation. You don't know what... I mean, I don't know. Anyway, I had to plug that in. <laughs> plug that in. So this event uh, with the college students happened or was being looked at the night of the 16th when the two friends got together. So there was actually going to be a trial and he was going to be convicted of indecent exposure, but they were getting all their facts together and stuff. So oh. this it was being looked at into and I'm assuming Crystal had no idea. No, no. Mm-mm. And she didn't know about the 15 when he was 15 years old, you know, and either did her mother, Bonnie. I mean, Ken was at their house all the time. Mm. So didn't know about it. Okay. Now, after Crystal got into his car, again, where the detectives kind of put that together and they're supposing this is what happened. That's what Ken said happened. We don't know what happened after that. Only Ken oh, knows gosh. the true story of what happened after that bonnie was up waiting for crystal when midnight came and went she got a little nervous crystal was always on time always came home on time an hour later with crystal still not home bonnie started calling her friends no crystal wasn't with them but they had seen her earlier that night at the mall and others had seen her at the party she even called ken who said he had not seen crystal at all that night by 3 a.m., Bonnie was frantic, and she called 911. The dispatcher, a guy who knew it all, said, oh, mm-hmm. you know, she's a teenager. She's probably no. hanging out with some friends, and, you know, teenagers do this all the time. Maybe she drank, and she doesn't want you to know about it, and making dispatcher? all this up. Oh, you know, he gosh. goes, why don't you give it a few more hours and then call back? 
okay. But, you know, of course, Bonnie's like, no, that's not Crystal. She's not going to do that. But he said, just, just give it some time. 8 a.m. Bonnie called 911 again. This time, probably a different dispatcher. This time, the police did respond and came to the house to ask questions. Not an hour later, 911 got another call, and this time from two hunters who were out on this, you know, in the country on this dirt road. They were deer hunters, and they stated they were driving along an obscure dirt road, and they saw what looked like a deer in the ditch. They stopped to see whether it was dead or whatever, and they realized that it wasn't a deer. It was a young woman. Her body was just covered with blood. They called, of course, police right away. Police rushed to the site, and there was a lot of blood on one side of the road, dirt road, and then what looked like bloody drag marks to the other side of the road and then into the ditch. Okay, and the body was literally in this ditch. The woman's pants were loosened and unzipped as and kind of pulled down uh, along her hips. Her shirt was ripped and her bra was pulled up, exposing her breasts. This looked to be a sexual assault, but there was so much more. Her face was bloodied because of the many stab wounds to her head and face. Her throat had been sliced or slit twice, so she had a very large gash in her throat. She had been partially disemboweled. This was one of the most brutal killings many of the police and investigators had ever seen and were ever to see. In fact, there were a lot of people who literally got sick at the scene. It was so gruesome. I can imagine. The police, awful. the police chief was not certain who the victim was. He was kind of wondering if this wasn't Crystal. And then he was proved right when her hand was kind of underneath her uh, body and when her hand was pulled out, there was a class ring on her finger. So they mm. took the class ring off and inside it was engraved Crystal Faye Todd. So what do you have to do now? You have to notify the mom who he happened to mm. know. Bonnie oh was devastated. She had no reason to continue living. Her reason had been murdered. Friends of Bonnie, as well as Crystal's friends, were at Bonnie's side visiting, bringing food, or just holding her hand. One of the people who visited most every day or called if he couldn't be there was Ken, Crystal's dear close friend, Ken, who Bonnie liked very much. Ken, who was actually a pallbearer at Crystal's funeral. Then one day, while Ken was visiting Bonnie, she noticed he was a little bit nervous he told her that police had taken DNA samples from all of Crystal's male friends. Ken had no idea what DNA was or how it could be used. Now, remember, this was 1991. Sure. DNA when was, was used at the time, but had just started and had yeah. never been used in South Carolina. Okay. Interestingly, the DNA taken at the scene and by the medical examiner came from a donor with O blood type along with a rare enzyme that's called PGM. I am not going to repeat the name, the scientific name, because I'd slander it, so I didn't even write it down. <laughs> now, PGM is very uncommon. Only about 2% of the population carry it, or one in 250 million people. So 
It's very it? rare. It's an enzyme that males could carry in their sperm. Okay. An FBI profiler then put a profile of the killer together. Now, this now profiling was kind of new at that time too, mm-hmm. but he was kind of right on. This is just some of his profile. White male in his early 20s. This was someone Crystal knew and most probably considered a friend. This person lived within a three-mile radius of the Todd's home. How do you come up with that? That's so crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, the f- considered a friend, that was because everybody said Crystal would never get into the car with a stranger. I get that one. But how do you know the three-mile radius? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a profiler, but I wish I was because that just sounds so interesting. Fascinating. Okay. It was because of this profile that the investigators asked for DNA samples of all of Crystal's male friends. I think there were around 57 samples taken in all. It took a little while to test all the samples, but they didn't have to test all of them because... Donor number 44 hit nine points out of nine points in the DNA tests. And that is also very rare. What's most common is like you'll hit five or six points on that DNA test or sample, Mm -hmm. but he hit all nine. Boom, 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 boom. This was definitely their killer. And his name, Ken Register, who is her best friend. But Ken had an alibi. He was with his 15-year-old girlfriend. Now, Ken's 18. Okay. He was with his 15-year-old girlfriend at a go-kart center outside of town. His girlfriend's parents ran the go-kart center. um, And at first she said that he stayed there and he didn't leave until 11.15, His mother then stated that Ken was home at 12 and did not leave the house after he arrived home. Now, this just didn't make any sense. The DNA was screaming that it was Ken who killed Crystal, yet he had this alibi from these two women. Somebody's lying. Ken was taken in for questioning. Now, as you can probably put together, he lived at home with his parents. I never read anything about his father so i don't know if his father lived there or Hmm. didn't exist anymore i have no idea but i never read anything about his father just as he was a mommy boy the whole time he was in for questioning he asked for his mama can my mama come in i want my mama to be sitting here where's my mama where's my mama (laughs) no dude (laughs) you're 18 suck it up you're not going to get your You're mama to be sitting adult. here. <laughs> yeah. She's sitting here next to you. His mother, however, did send a note to him. While he was being questioned, the investigator read the note. He didn't show the note. He read the note. Now, the note okay. actually said, keep your mouth shut until we get a lawyer. Okay. okay. Yeah. That is not what the detective read. Oh. He read, son. Tell the cops everything. Come clean. <laughs> I'm so confused. Wait, so what did the note actually say? Keep your mouth shut until we get a lawyer. But the but cop the cops mm-hmm. now lied to him and said this is legal. This is legal. To lie about what you read in a note from somebody? To yes. To the It's not coercion because you're not like in their face going, You did it, you did it, you know, that type of thing. Oh it's, my gosh. 
it's it's legal. I mean, okay, so what happened? Okay. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my well, seat. <laughs> mama is saying, come clean, man. Come clean. He's a mama's boy. He does everything his mama says. So he was like, okay. He came clean. He told him there's his story. Oh my gosh. But this was his story. We ran across each other at the stoplight and decided to hang out. Crystal parked her car and got into mine. We drove out into the country and had consensual sex. After which Crystal realized that Ken had not worn a condom. She exploded saying that if she found out she was pregnant, she would accuse Ken of raping her. She got out of the car and just kept cutting him down and yelling at him and just kept going on and on. Remember, Ken has a short fuse. So Ken said he grabbed his knife. Before he realized what he was doing, he got out of the car, came behind her, and started stabbing her. That's his story. Then I mean, she was brutally stabbed. If this, I mean, this story doesn't seem real to me, but if it was, like, she was brutally attacked before he knew what he was doing. Like, not just one stab. Like, he went crazy. When he came out of his craziness and realized what he had done, he was like, oh, crap. I got to hide her body. So he dragged it across the road and dumped it. Now, that was another thing that the profiler said. This was his first kill. He'd never killed before. Okay. Now, at his trial, the medical examiner had a complete different story. A story that actually Crystal told her with her body. The sex was by no means consensual. Crystal had semen in every orifice, and she had severe bruising between her thighs and her anus. She had defensive wounds on her left hand, which was kind of odd because Crystal was right-handed. But mm. the examiner had an explanation. Crystal had been stabbed on the left side of her head so hard that the blade went through her skull and into her brain basically oh paralyzing the right side of her body. Oh my gosh, this poor girl. She had been stabbed 35 times and the middle of her torso had been partially slit, causing the disembowelment. Mm. Most of the stab wounds showed that she had been alive, but some showed no blood, meaning she was stabbed even after she was dead. Jeez. Ken, Ken had two trials. The first being the exposure one, and he was found guilty. Now, the prosecutor did this on purpose because this way he could kind of show what Ken, you know, he was a sexual deviant. Now, mm -hmm. had that not been tried before this murder trial, he couldn't have used it, you know, because it was see. still. I so yeah. the prosecutor was like, no, 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 go ahead. That happened first. You go ahead and have that trial first. So he was found guilty. On the stand, Ken's girlfriend recanted her story and said that Ken left the go-kart center early. Mm -hmm. He was really antsy the whole night. And he didn't, it's like he got to the go-kart place. He was antsy. He wanted to leave. And she's like, no, I want to stay. My friends are here. She's 15 years old. Yes. I want to well, stay, my friends are here. I will ride the go-karts, you know? And he's like, no, no, let's go back into town. Let's, let's fool around. Let's, you know, whatever. It's like, no, I'm staying here. So he left her, which was fine because that was her parents' go-kart center. So her parents were there. So he did not stay there until 1115. He left much earlier. 
Hmm. Now, his mother stood by her original story. Bonnie, Crystal's mother, in an interview on Forensic Files, Season 7, Episode 5, the name was The Alibi, said that when Ken went home that night, he must have been just covered in Crystal's blood. Had to have been. I mean, all what he did must have been covered. Maybe his mother was in bed and she didn't see him come in. But if she did see him come in and helped him cover up the horrible murder, well, then, then she like, what did he even also do with the clothes. clothes that's what too. I thought too. Like, it's then not she just... also has Crystal's blood on her hands as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he burned his clothes. Maybe his mother really didn't see them. You know, maybe she just supposed he came home at 12. But as close as they seemed like they were, and it didn't seem like he could think on his own, I think he would have gone to his mother. Even if he snuck in and she didn't see him, like, what did he do with the clothes after that? Like, well, he might have burned them or something. But I don't know. He, he, you know, I want my mama to be sitting next to me. I want my mama here. I want, what did my mama say? She knew something. Well, and I don't think he could think on his own. I don't think, you know, I I think he was just like, you know, what should I do? What should I do? I think his mother knew personally. I think his mother Mm -hmm. knew exactly what had happened. The jury took under two hours to agree on a guilty verdict. The sentence was not death because he was 18 years old. Mm, Yeah. But instead life in prison. (laughs) And again, it's, it was because he was 18 years old, but I mean, personally I'm going, (laughs) so what? I mean, he, took someone's life he must have been old and i mean he was old enough to do that anyway that's just me unfortunately life in prison in 1992 meant there was a chance of parole mm, today of someone gets life in prison there is no parole get parole yeah if it's life in prison with no parole that's what it is mm-hmm. back then it wasn't like that so his parole hearing actually the first one was in february 2022 at which time he waived his rights to a hearing. Oh, his next hearing will be in 2024. So next year. So it's other two years. Ugh. Ken Register is one man who I pray is never released from the bars that hold him. I mean, who knows what else he could be capable of? There's many people who think that had he not been caught with the DNA evidence, had he not been caught, he would have turned into a serial killer, a serial rapist, serial killer. Just a side note, Bonnie Todd joined her beloved daughter in death in September 2014. Her pain, loss, and heartache finally put to rest. If you wanted to dive deeper into this case with all the details, there's a book that you should check out. Uh, it's called An Hour to Kill. A True Story of Love, Murder, and Justice in a Small Southern Town. It was written by Dale Hudson and Billy Hills. They did a lot of research into this and interviewed a lot of people. So they share all that in the book. And again, I'll put that in our episode notes. Wow, Mom, that was intense. So what did prosecution set up as like, the timeline of kind of what happened so she got into his vehicle when they saw each other at the light and then probably got into his vehicle around she dropped her friend off 
So probably between 1130 and quarter to 12, somewhere mm -hmm. between there, they drove out. And I think he was actually so then his mom's lying, too, because she said he was home by. Of course, midnight. she's lying. Of course, his curfew. He actually had a curfew. His curfew was like 12 or 1230, 18 years he old. And he had 12. a curfew. Well, he's living <laughs> at home. That was funny. That's respectful. Whatever yeah. mama says. Interesting. I mean, so I mean, based it, on the title of that book, I mean, it was done like within an, an hour. hour. Yeah. That's horrible. Horrible, horrible attack. I mean, that one, which was probably the first stab wound. I mean, I'm just guessing here, but in the side of her skull was done with such ferocity that it went into her skull into her brain and so it, it was like well they i'm sorry i didn't put this down but it was like it was a like a hunting knife that had a lock on it so the blade couldn't just like a swiss army knife it couldn't just slip down it had to be it was locked in place it was like a hunting knife serrated hunting knife mm. um and when they searched his house they did find a box for that exact kind of knife in his house but it was it was empty because he said that he tossed the knife Why? that night after he that killed night? her that oh, night he said he, he told them that he right. dumped her body into the ditch and then he tossed the knife and he he would go over to bonnie's house every day and just be her her companion and her solace and you know just to be with her, but probably also to hear how the investigation was going. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They say that those the killers are like stick around and show up at the funerals and everything too. He was a pallbearer. That's sick. Sick. I read someplace that a thousand five hundred people showed up at her viewing. Oh, mm. that was a sad one. <laughs> Thanks, Melanie. <laughs> No, seriously. Thanks, Melanie. It was, you know, these things need, I think you can't forget it, you know, especially with his parole coming up. I, you can't forget what, what a monster he is. Mm -mm. And I'm sorry. I know prison's supposed to reform you, blah, 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 but makes you wonder why he declined the parole. Yeah. That's interesting. Like he knew something about himself or. And, and the lawyer. Even his lawyer thought it was interesting because he said the first parole hearings, the the people never get off. It's just, it's like sort of a parole hearing, but people are never released after that parole hearing. Sure. So like a courteous. That's courtesy. why he almost. Yeah. And that's why he thought it was just, even he thought it was strange that he declined the hearing. Mm. Yeah. Maybe he's content in prison. Or he's found out something about himself and he decided he needs to stay locked up. I don't know. Yikes. Well, are we ready to move on? Yes. <laughs> You're going to bring us up. <laughs> not with the name of your drink, we're not. Uh, <clears throat> well, again, thank you, Melanie. And um, gosh, sorry, that oh. one was really tough. Okay. Um. Okay, well, because of my cocktail's name, I'm sure you all know, can assume the topic I'm covering. Buried alive! <laughs> I'm 
mom gave me the idea. We covered some bits of this in our Patreon episode last week. And it uh, kind of stuck with me. Sorry, patrons. Y'all get to hear more insight into the wonders of being buried alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I mean, I, I just cringe. That is one of the things that just, like, I feel like Waking I can't Waking up breathe. in a tight space. <laughs> it just makes and me just, mm. No, no. And I think I've told the story before about how we were in one of those, like, lock-in you're locked in you're trying to get out rooms it's called like locked I, no it's like yeah locked anyway in locked. yeah anyway katie i was doing it with my sister katie and the bed lifted up and it's a coffin and you have to get in and close some somebody had to get in and have the coffin be closed on top of them and then when you did that without knowing what was going to happen a false bottom would drop and you rolled into another room so Anyway, just the fact that she was like, I'll get in. <laughs> I know. That's like one of my biggest fears. It wasn't that, even uh, somebody has to get in the coffin. I'm like in the corner on the other side of the room. Like, uh-uh. not me. <laughs> we lose this game right now because yeah. I'm not getting in there. <laughs> nope. Um, so cases of being accidentally buried alive date back to the 14th century when the body of philosopher John Dunn's Scotus was found outside of his coffin, his hands bloodied from trying to get out. So from the 14th century to as recent as 2014, when a woman was buried, uh, she was believed to have died from cancer. She was buried by her family. And this happened in Greece. Uh, Locals started to hear screams and knocks coming from the cemetery after her burial, but they couldn't really track like, who it was, where it was coming from, if it was even coming from the ground. Like they were just hearing these noises. Uh, She was later exhumed and discovered by the coroner that she ended up dying from a cardiac arrest. Oh, God. From being buried alive. Not cancer, as I had presumed. Oh, my gosh. Now, what drew me to this joyous topic. (laughs) Yeah, what did draw you? I can't just blame mom. But... Upon researching haunted places in South Carolina, I came across the story of Julia Laguerre. And, well, that's the story I'm going to share with you guys today. Julia's story story begins on Edisto Island. And if there are are some of you that have been following the Murdoch trials and all that crap, then you may recognize the name. Edisto Island is where Alec Murdoch had his beach house. So not the house where he killed his wife and son, but the other home that he had. Um, So in case you've been following all, all of that crap, you might recognize Edisto Island. Um, It's about 40 miles South of Charleston. It's a smaller area, beach and farming land. At first, it was used for fishing camps for the local indigenous people back in the day. And as the European colonists moved in, farming began. After the revolution, the area started growing and selling Sea Island cotton. It's a very luxurious, silky cotton. Hmm. It was very expensive. It was had like extra long fibers. I read that it was pretty comparable to like Egyptian cotton. Because it had long fibers and it's just very silky soft. Okay, this and is how had... stupid I am. I never thought of cotton as being anything but cotton. So I get I didn't okay, not stupid. 
I've never dove into the topic of cotton before, <laughs> but I guess there's different cotton plants, which would make sense because that like, makes total cotton. It makes total sense. It makes total yeah. sense. I just never. Yeah. <laughs> so the the cotton. Sorry, what was the name of it? What did I say the name of it was? Sea breeze or sea island. Sea island cotton has long fibers similar to like Egyptian cotton. And so it's very silky. It was in high demand for the Europeans. Mm. So, of course, that they had to keep growing it. And I lost my place. It's a very lucrative crop, high demand in Europe. Okay, therefore, the wealthy lived out there on Edisto. So they'd have a couple houses probably, but... Edisto became known as like where the wealthy would live and they'd have the plantations out there. Mm. And then they might have like a house in town in Charleston or what have you, but very, very wealthy people lived on in Edisto Island. And like I said, the plantations were out there. And as American history goes, these wealthy plantation owners lived by the wealth made on the backs of slaves. According to the podcast lore I listened to on the subject, in 1790, out on Edisto Island, there was 1,692 slaves and there were 223 white people. Oh, jeez. Yes. After the Civil War, this increased to over 5,000 slaves. Oh, my gosh. On this little island? Mm-hmm. One of the most profited plantation owners out there was William Seabrook. And I I get sidetracked a lot. So <laughs> I'm going to take you with me. I don't know if you guys are like me. So if you're not, I'm sorry. But when I heard like Edisto Island, I was like, oh, the Murdoch trials. Like I kind of get sidetracked. So when I heard Seabrook and Seabrook Plantation, does anything come to mind for you? Probably not. Uh, the notebook came to mind <laughs> for me because the whole the whole story happens in Seabrook, which is a fictional sit town. I read, unfortunately, I kind of got excited, but it's fictional. <laughs> sorry, guys. But anyway, sorry, side note. <clears throat> anyway, William Seabrook, he's one of the wealthiest men out on Edisto. And fun fact, his plantation, Seabrook Plantation, still stands there today. It's beautiful. But the fun fact is that it was designed in 1810 by James Hoban. Do you know who that is? No. He designed the White House in Washington, D.C. Oh. So this plantation is pretty fancy. Yeah. William had a daughter named Julia Georgiana Seabrook. There's not much on her early years, except she was born to Elizabeth and William Seabrook, November 18th, 1829. And then she got married in 1848 to John Berwick Legree. You know, the important facts. Okay. <laughs> born and married. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. John was a plantation owner as well, and the two started a family. The next known date was when she was 22. In 1852, Julia went home to Edisto to visit family, and she had a really sore throat, and then this progressed to a bad cough, and then a fever, and then her throat actually started to close. Oh. She started to swell, and she really had a hard time breathing. The doctor came out with the diagnosis. She had caught had gotten diphtheria oh which death is inevitable with diphtheria uh soon julia fell into a very deep coma and not long after that the doctor found no signs of life and deemed her dead the family prepared her body for burial 
pretty much right away because like the day that he deemed her that she was dead, they prepared her for burial right away because diphtheria is contagious and they didn't want anybody else getting it. I didn't know diphtheria was contagious. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know much about diphtheria. I don't know much either. <clears throat> I know it's like. Well, now you know that it constricts your throat. It can, yeah. <laughs> and you die. <laughs> so don't and get you it. have a cough and you die. Um, And they're also in South Carolina. So it's really hot and humid and gross. And the body will decompose really quick. And they don't want that sitting around in their house. So they have to prepare <laughs> her body very quickly. I don't want that sitting around their house. No, you know, nobody's <laughs> got time for that. <laughs> She was dressed in her favorite gown and laid to rest in the family's mausoleum on Edisto Island's Presby- at Edisto Island's Presbyterian Church. The family said their goodbyes and slid the large marble door closed and locked as they left. Not Can I ask after- you something? Yes. Do when people are buried in mausoleums, hmm? they're not put in coffins, are they? She was put in a coffin, and like in the wall, then. Not like cemented in the wall, but probably like on a shelf. <laughs> yeah, but they're put. The wall. In, they're put in coffins, or yeah, maybe sometimes they can they're... be. Yeah, sometimes they okay. do, sometimes they don't. Um, okay. So she was put in the mausoleum, and then they closed up the mausoleum. And I believe this mausoleum all had because of the rest of the story. Um, she was in a coffin. Plus, she had diphtheria and was found contagious. So I'm sure they tried to wrap that up, right? <laughs> I don't know. All I know is about the yellow fever that I talked about to the patrons. <laughs> Her patrons. Yeah, you're right. Uh, okay. So she's buried in the mausoleum. They lock, close this heavy marble door. They leave. Not long after the burial, men of the church start hearing screams and crying coming from the cemetery at all hours of the day and night. But no one's able to pinpoint where the sounds are coming from. And the noises, the church deemed the yard, the churchyard spirit. So these people, it's just the churchyard spirit crying. It no could big possibly deal. be a person. It's got no to be a deal. ghost. <laughs> no, no. A decade passes and the civil war takes over the area. And she's Julia... still crying? No, the crying has ceased. Uh, so civil war and her brother dies in the civil war so he's brought back and they're going to bury him in the mausoleum so i lost my place again okay so they prepare his body for burial they open the family's mausoleum but as they open the door right in front of the door is julia's body crumpled (gasps) in her gown that they had buried her in decomposed corpse of julia dressed in her favorite gown crumpled on the floor not in the casket as she had originally been buried in she got out of the casket scratches on the end there's also scratches on the inside of the mausoleum door so they rebury her in the mausoleum and then they also bury her brother they close and they lock the marble door now julia's family was so shook at what had happened that they they're like we're gonna go visit the mausoleum like regularly right? Because they feel like they need to owe her some respect. (laughs) So they go back that night and the door to their mausoleum is open. And they're like, okay, that's really weird. So, and this is like a heavy marble door. It was locked. So they push it back. They close it. They lock it. They say some 
pay some respects, say some respects. I don't know. Respect. And then (laughs) (laughs) out of here. Stay in the coffin. (laughs) And they leave. Well, then they get called, probably not on the phone because I don't think they had phones then. (laughs) But they get a message from the church saying, hey, yo, your mausoleum door is wide open. Like, respect. (laughs) Or are you raised in a barn? (laughs) Respect. (laughs) They had to go out there and close the door. And again, they get called the next day. Guys. This is getting to be ridiculous. What happened to their, they said there was a ghost in the graveyard. Why don't they close on the ghost? The door to your dead. So they go and they actually buy a whole new door. But no matter what they did, they bought a new door, locks, chains. The store just kept opening. So the family actually removed the door. Oh. And that's why they had to have been buried in coffins because- they're not just going to have these skeletons just laying out for people. <laughs> right? Yeah. Who's there? <laughs> <sighs> okay. That's it. That was the story for Buried Alive. Um, but the door kept opening. So that was the haunted part for the paranormal portion was they think it was, sorry, I my mind. <laughs> going to talk through my thoughts right now. Um, they think it was Julia, like, not wanting to get locked in again and terrified. I mean, that's, that's scary. So it was her spirit. Like, do not leave me in here without a way out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I have some more facts for you guys. I'm not done yet with this. Oh, okay. So like I said, this has been happening since the 14th century. Right. And people actually started getting really scared. (laughs) I don't want to be buried alive. Nobody wants to be buried alive. And people started getting really scared. Like, how how are we gonna how are we gonna avoid being buried alive? So this this in France, his name was Antoine Louis Louise Louis. Yeah, he's in Paris. He had this long pipe that would administer. This is one of the first tests of death. Okay, tests for death. It's this long pipe. He would administer tobacco smoke enemas with his mouth. To the people that were dead, I guess. What's that supposed to do? I don't. If the smoke comes out of their no. mouth, then they're dead or what? That he's just blowing into this pipe. Animas. <laughs> Sounds like this guy had a fetish and used an excuse. Blowing <laughs> smoke. Oh, that's what the saying. That's where it came from. You're blowing smoke up my ass <laughs> oh my god i didn't put that together but again like why okay. what does that mean <laughs> that means you're just but just they I... thought that this was working because they later created these bellows that would like push air through these pipes and put tobacco smoke in people's bums i don't get it I don't understand if they were alive then they go oh <laughs> But if they were dead, they wouldn't react. I mean, I don't understand why what the tobacco smoke had to do with it. Oh, it gets better, though. Uh, <laughs> the, the Germans have even more interesting tactics <laughs> to test for death. Uh, yeah, a German boy. doctor would electrocute his patient's faces <laughs> before he buried them. Again, these sound like fetishes that people are like getting joy out of. 
that sounds horrible. And then you have to wonder, does somebody wake up because of that then? I know. Um, the A Dutch doctor would put a trumpet right up to a patient's ear and blow the trumpet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was probably really loud. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. I mean, but like if you're in a coma, that's not going to wake you up. Tobacco up your bum isn't going to wake you up. Electrocuting your, electrocuting your face isn't going to wake you up. No. Okay. Another French doctor had this clamp that he invented that would clamp onto the patient's tongue and would <gasps> pull it back and forth really violently. <laughs> uh, another doctor, a German doctor, created a very similar clamp, except this clamp had claws. And what? he would clamp it onto the patient's nipples. <laughs> <laughs> People do that on purpose nowadays. <laughs> mm. um, more commonly was a pin prick that they would prick like big pins into their legs and arms and under their toenails. Ugh. But still, if they were comatose. Yeah. If you think these people are just really sleeping, like I don't, but you know, this is, this is a, this been happening for so long and they didn't really know the signs of a coma or anything like that. In the 1780s, um, the French <clears throat> French doctor came up with a French community waiting mortuary. So that people would die and then they would just put all the dead in like a, a room and it became known as House of the Dead. Now the Germans built upon this and actually hired on like a staff and they'd have like this big house where staff would live in half of it and then they'd have rooms just the corpse room filled with the dead they would have mom talked about this with patrons but in these corpse rooms with all these dead people they would tie strings to bells so that the staff could go and check on these corpses in these rooms um but when the body decomposes it moves it releases gases it it moves and so these bells were going off all the time so it was kind of not because then a bell goes off and they're like so they all go into the corpse room but what bell went like it just gross 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 and then can you imagine if you really were in a coma and you wake up in a corpse room <laughs> oh why didn't they um, just like hold a mirror underneath their nose that sounds so much easier than blowing a trumpet in their ear or blowing know. smoke up their butt <laughs> just hold a mirror well, under then, their nose then it became a money thing and so they started creating these separate rooms for the wealthy these like grand rooms that they you could so pay just extra. in case they did wake up they'd be among you could pay extra so that if your corpse is not really a corpse and it wakes up at least it's in a fancy room oh my gosh so these corpse rooms were stinky and gross and like there was diseases and everything that was because of these. So they started to shut them down and burial was the preferred option. But oh my gosh, if we bury them, we're burying them alive. And so this German Duke Ferdinand, he created a security coffin and it had like, let's call it a, a sunroof, but it had like a glass <laughs> sunroof. It had vents. Wow. Um, it had... Oh, shoot, I lost. So yeah, sunroof, vents, and a lock on the inside oh. so that you could unlock it and get out of your own But coffin. you're still in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you have vents. So 
That's yeah, but you can't get out of the dang thing. a little thing. longer. Yeah, you can't push it up. Yeah. Wow. You didn't think that through. Let's see. Another German uh, added feeding tubes to some coffins. <laughs> Speaking. Yeah, that's what I'm concerned about. If I'm suffocating to death, feed me. Give me a smoothie. <laughs> I need a sandwich down here. Well, they installed speaking trumpets so you could place your order for the feeding tube a little easier. <laughs> do, do, do. No speaking, like, not, not a speaking trumpet so you can talk. Help me. <laughs> My name is Beth Thompson and I've been buried alive. Bring a sandwich. <laughs> so they had, again, the strings with the bells. Mm hmm. But those weren't accurate, and nobody would really hear these little bells going off. So then they would actually, some smaller communities would tie ropes to the dead, and the ropes would go to the bell tower. Can, oh, no. can you imagine you're sleeping and you hear the bell tower going off? How terrifying. Go, Not another one. <laughs> I don't think it ever did, Beth. That would take so much strength to pull that rope to ring a huge bell. You're in a so coffin. Sad. You're That's just so waking sad. up. Like you have the strength to pull on but this. But I guess it set everybody else who was already alive at peace that it never rang. Does wake up. They're just stupid. They just didn't ring the damn bell. But you wouldn't know because it's not like you're going to exhume all these people to make sure that they're dead. Oh my God. Okay. So I have. Uh, one more South Carolina story for you all about somebody being buried alive. South Carolina, you had a few. Essie Dunbar, she was 30. Uh, she suffered from epileptic seizures and one set her in 1915 into a horrible coma. And she just didn't wake up. The doctor could not find any sign of life and she was declared dead. She was prepared for burial. And her sister lived pretty far away, and it was going to take her a while to get there to travel home to, for the burial. And she wanted to wait for her sister to be buried so she could say goodbye and see her face. She wanted to see her face. So the family decides to wait a, a day to let her sister come. The body is, again, decomposing quickly because of the heat and everything else. That they're, come on, sis, let's go. The sister did not arrive on the deadline. And... Essie was buried. Now at the service, there they drop down the coffin. They throw two scoops of dirt, and then two Essie's scoops, sister, two scoops, two tablespoons of dirt. <laughs> it's two ounces of rum, two scoops of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Essie's sister shows up, and she starts crying and begging and begging. Please, I want to see my sister's face. I need to see my sister's face. I need to say goodbye. I need to see my sister. So begrudgingly, they raise up the coffin. They open it. Essie Dunbar smiles and sits up. It says, hello. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> Some stories even said... <laughs> Some stories even said the minister was so terrified that he tumbled <laughs> into the grave and people on fell. On top of S on top of her, she's no, they brought the her up. They brought her up. He fell in <laughs> and people ran away. And she's sitting there smiling, saying, Hello. 
<laughs> he well, lived you said for they, when was this 1915 1915 so they didn't embalm people Mm-mm. at that time okay they did not embalm people at that time she lived for another 47 years get out of town oh my get out gosh of town. get out of the grave wow respect <laughs> man mm-hmm. isn't that crazy the sister crazy like it's like she knew she knew something but this is my like little you know uh, moment so the whole time they were dropping down the casket and you're you sit up and smile and say hello <laughs> the whole time they're dropping down the casket are you just sitting there like okay sis you gotta get here soon they gotta <laughs> open this casket like are you just like <laughs> no she just woke up when she heard her sister sobbing no that's my version okay a little better go with that well you know i mean it was not uncommon probably here in the states too but i know in europe to have a deceased member of the family in the parlor or in the family room mm-hmm. in a coffin in an open yeah. coffin for days yeah Ugh. so and and my grandmother i mean it wasn't uncommon either to have pictures so my grandmother, I remember her showing me pictures of her niece or somebody who had been hit by a car. Oh, so my gosh. She had all this scrapes and well, cuts and stuff all over her. Geez. But and like back in the day, in they even house for a few days. They even posed in pictures with their dead. Oh, yeah. Those pictures. Of the but some of them are stuff. really hard to tell whether they're dead or really not. Hard because everybody's they... like. Yeah, they have. <laughs> For those listening, sorry. <laughs> you missed everybody's out on it. everybody's straight faced, you know. So well, yeah, everybody posed like that for pictures. Nobody ever smiled for pictures, but so it's really hard to tell. They were like the propped up people. on like you know, wooden beams to hold them up to sit or stand and weird. So weird. People are weird. <laughs> well, don't be blowing smoke up a mic. I bet you anything that's where that saying comes from. I didn't even put that together when I was writing up these notes. I was just like, that's weird. <laughs> now that makes sense. It still that's doesn't not, make sense. That's not a little weird. <laughs> that's a lot weird. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, okay. Okay. Well, that was episode 138. Uh, that was a good time laughing. Mom, thanks again for doing the true crime two weeks in a row. That not a problem for me. I was able to get this written up and then an episode for patrons for next week. Oh, phew, good. <laughs> hey, don't right. worry. Um, we're not letting you guys down. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not a member on Patreon, please join us. There's a link in the description of this episode that's going to send you to all of our sites, our website for all of our resources. YouTube, in case you're not watching on YouTube already, if you want to, please subscribe, like, follow, all the things. Please. Uh, Then it, gosh, it shows you where our Patreon is. It shows you our Instagram, our Facebook, um, links if you want to buy us a drink. Thank you in advance if you do. So please check that out. Follow us wherever you're listening on your podcasts and uh, leave us a review if you have time. Please bumps us up in the charts and that's what we want. (laughs) thank you guys for listening 
Mom, do you have anything to say before I um cheers you? <laughs> before you cheers me. <laughs> no, again, I want to thank our patrons and our followers for sticking with us. I'm so happy to be back followers. on. That makes our- it sound like we're a cult. <laughs> thank you to our followers. Our fellow <laughs> Ovarian. What do you call uh, it? I do not call them ovarians. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I called them hangoveries. But then hangoveries. My, sister, <laughs> my sister so lovingly pointed out that it sounds like I'm calling you all ovaries. So, <laughs> again, just blow some smoke up your bum. I don't know. Yeah, our hangover, I don't think, I don't our think hangover we can followers. shorten our... <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, I don't think so. Uh Okay. That was a good one, Mom. Uh, Cheers, Mama. Thanks for making me laugh. I love you, kid. Cheers.